Let's continue our study of Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a psalm of deliverance and direction. And it traces Israel's history. And it shows seasons of deliverance and direction from God, despite seasons of sin and judgment on the part of God's people. We see in Psalm 107 God's faithfulness to deliver and direct his people. We've broken Psalm 107 into two major sections. In section 1, verses 1 through 32, the focus is on God's providence in deliverance. In section 2, the psalmist writes of God's providence in direction, verses 33 to 42. So we've begun with God's providence in deliverance. And what we're seeing here is a cycle. Now, in verses 1 through 3, we have a celebration. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. So God's deliverance is to be celebrated. We're not just to idly ignore it. We're not to uh, just brush it under the carpet. We're to celebrate it. We're to rejoice. We're to praise God for his deliverance. But here's where this cycle begins. Verses 4 to 5, we have a condition. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not want to find an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Which leads to a call in verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. And that leads to consolation, verses 7 and to 9. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And that's great. Okay, we, we figure, okay, the people have uh, been delivered out of their sin. However, notice the pattern begins again in verses 10 to 12 with a condition. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurred the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, God humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. So right now, they've gone right back into this rebellious state, this rebellious condition, which now leads us to the call in verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. And now, once again, we see consolation in verses 14 to 16. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, broke their bands apart, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered the gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Again, God delivers his people. Uh, he's delivered them from their hunger and thirst. He's delivered them from their homelessness. He's delivered them now from darkness. We would think at this point, they finally get it. They're finally going to walk in the way they should go. But notice verse 17 to 18, the pattern begins again. Fools because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. 
God's judgment is, has been bearing down upon Israel. Israel has experienced wandering in the wilderness. They've experienced imprisonment, and now she has become ill. The exiles are called fools. Why? Because they have refused God's wisdom. They, he's delivered them time and again, and they continue to sin and continue to judge, be judged for their willful acts of rebellion, for their iniquities, for their going astray. And this affliction now results in a loss of appetite. They don't have any desire to eat, and now they're dying. They're drawing near to the gates of death. You know, there's a clear connection here between sin and sickness. Now, again, let's be very careful. Not every sickness is the result of sin. Obviously, Sickness is a result of the curse of sin. But my point is, if you are sick, maybe you have an illness of some kind, a disease, uh, whatever it may be, our immediate thought is not, oh, well, that person has committed some sin. However, that being said, some sins are directly or do directly result in sickness. Now, what I would say is that every person uh, should look at themselves and consider, you know, is this a result of life in a cursed world or is this the result of a sin in my life? Uh, I would offer a word to everyone else. Me, I do not have any business looking at someone else's life and seeing an illness and trying to determine what their sin is. My responsibility is to pray for them. Now, if the sin is obvious, then, you know, that's a different story. I need to confront their sin. You know, if you're dealing with someone who's sick, you know, your responsibility is to pray for them. Uh, now, again, if, again, if sin is obvious, then confront the sin. But let's be very careful that we're not going around and looking at people and saying, oh, well, this person is dealing with some sickness. They must have committed some grave sin in their life. Okay, so, but what we're dealing here in the context is, yes, the sickness that Israel is dealing with here, here the, the, the exiles, is a direct result of their rebellion and their affliction. They have committed moral failure, and their moral failure has had a disastrous effect upon their physical health. So this, again, they've not only lost homeland, they've lost family, and now they've lost their health even because of their rebelliousness. Notice now verse 19, the call, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. What did God do? He saved them out of their distresses. How long-suffering is God? Even in their darkest hour, they cry out to the Lord. They have sinned, they have abandoned him, and yet it does not keep God from helping, from delivering. Because the one who judges is the one who heals. Remember, in the justice of God, there is wrath and there is mercy. As God pours out his wrath, his people cry out for deliverance. And in his mercy, he withholds his wrath and delivers them. And that's where we see the consolation again in verse 20 to 22. He sent his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Notice how this 
healing or how this rescue took place. He sent his word and healed them. He delivered them from their pitfalls, their destructions. God's word works, folks. Just as his word created, just as his word healed people, cast out demons, cured blindness, lameness, uh, muteness, so on and so forth, so God's word rescues or delivers people from their sinful conditions. All he has is but to speak a word. Now, when God speaks that word in your life, what is your response to be? What should my response to be? Look at verse 21. Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. When God delivers us from our sin, from our affliction, from his judgment of our sins, it needs to lead to worship. How often have you prayed for deliverance in some form or fashion in your life and God has answered, but you have failed to praise him? That's selfishness, folks. That's pure selfishness. We should be thankful to God for what he has done, and we should then be telling others what God has done. Worship should always lead to witness. Let me ask you a question. You know, oh, you, you've got your worship down. You're gone and you go to worship time every week and you're there and you're putting your time in and you're praising the Lord. That's wonderful. What do you do the rest of the week? Do you share with anyone else what God has done? I'm not talking about believers. Yeah, you ought to be sharing with believers what God has done. But how about with the unbeliever? How about with the unsaved? Are you witnessing to them? Are you sharing with them what God has done? If not, your worship isn't complete, folks. The result of genuine worship is witness to what God is doing or has done. Now, notice we have one final cycle, beginning in verse 23 to 27, the condition. Those who have gone down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they've seen the works of the Lord, his wonders in the deep, for he spoke up and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and they were at their wit's end. Now what we have here is the psalmist giving us an analogy, a poetic analogy of Israel's recent history in exile. So again, it's not that this is a new cycle beginning, but he's restating all the previous uh, conditions. He's summing it up in poetic fashion here, and he structures it around those who go down to the sea in ships. Now, these are merchants. They're going about to do business on the, the sea. They're going to travel from port to port selling their wares, and sailors certainly see the works and wonders of God. The works of God are displayed in the winds that lift up the waves. Uh, again, notice it's God, not Mother Nature, that's commanding the waters. They they, they, in the hurricanes, they mount up to the heavens, and then they go crashing down against to the depths. And, you know, when you get caught in a storm at sea, your soul melts. You're terrified because the storm is out of control. Your little boat is reeling to and fro. You're like a drunken man. You're seasick. You're at your wit's end. And what do sailors do? Well, verse 28, they call. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distresses. You know, just like Israel. And God 
did what? Look at the consolation in verse 29 to 32. He caused the storm to be still, so the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people, that and praise him to the seat of the elders. You know, I, I can't help but think of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. When he was there sleeping in the bottom boat, the, the disciples are fishing. All of a sudden, a great storm comes up, and what do they do? They begin to fret. They begin, their condition is one of terror. And what do they do? They raise, the, rise, they raise up the glory. Lord, wake up, wake up, come. You know, there's a great storm, we're going to die. They cry out to God, and what does he do? He consoles them. Now, you have to ask yourself, did this psalmist ever go through their mind? I don't think it went through their mind before the situation. I don't think it was going through their mind in the midst of the storm. But I often wonder, after the storm, maybe that later that day, maybe sometime in the few weeks after, did they hear this psalm and did these words strike a chord in their heart? You know, folks, whatever God has done in your life, he has done one thing for sure. He's rescued you. First and foremost, he's rescued you from sin and the lake of fire in saving you. Folks, if that is all that he has done, it would be enough. That is enough for us to worship and witness, to testify to others of what he has done, to give praise to God for what he has done. But how often, how how many times in your life have you gone through a time where you've wandered from God, God has brought chastisement into your life, some form of distress into your life, and you've cried out to him, and again, he's delivered you. I guarantee it's been more than once. Because you know what? We're no different than Israel. We go through the same cycle time and again uh, around on this merry-go-round of sin, of judgment, of of repentance and, and, and restoration, and then right back into the same pattern. Folks, let's stop the cycle. Let's stop the pattern. Let's get ourselves right with our holy God, cry out for deliverance, and folks, when God delivers you, worship him. And don't just worship, but witness. And folks, let's together guard one another, watch one another, comfort one another, come alongside one another so that we can keep one another from falling down again into this same cycle of destruction. But let's praise God that he delivers us from destruction. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We give you the thanks and the praise, Lord, that you are long-suffering God, that, Father, despite how many times we sin, how many times we, we, we fall into destruction, we come under your judgment, that, Father, when we cry out to you in repentance, you hear us and you deliver us. Father, I ask that we would be a people who not only worship you, not only praise you for deliverance, but that, Father, we would then testify. We would give witness, not just to the believers, not just to our fellow believers, but that we would witness to the lost and tell them what you have done, how you've rescued us, how you've delivered us that they too may enjoy that deliverance. Father, again, we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory. And to this we pray and say, amen.